Well, hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Open Swim here with your host, Hallie Bram Kogelshots. And we're going to go around the table and learn a little bit about the illustrious group of women we have here today. Hi, I'm Madeline Norman. I am a marketing coordinator here at Shark and Minnow. Hi, I'm Kate, and I am a video producer at Shark and Minnow. Hi, I'm Lauren. I'm the graphic designer. Hi, I'm Gracie. I'm a marketing coordinator at Shark and Minnow. And what makes this episode really exciting is that we are doing a special episode, special edition, um, as part of our Women's History Month series, Working Lunch. So today what we've decided to do is bring together many of the women at Shark and Minnow to talk a little bit about topics that we think affect us both today and hopefully allow us to create an even more exciting future for all of us in the workplace, outside of the workplace as individuals moving forward. So Gracie is the keeper of the keys when it comes to the topics today. And um, I'm going to turn it over to you so you can tell us where we're starting. Sure. So we're starting with the that girl versus girl boss mentalities and how they're both similar uh, and yet different at the same time and how they both lead to the sort of oppression or marginalization of women in the workplace. So Madeline, I think you wanted to talk a little bit about that. If somebody doesn't know, what is the, what is the difference? What was the girl boss movement? What is the that girl movement? Yeah, for sure. So girl boss was something that kind of came up in the early to late 2010s. That was kind of the idea that any woman who is like hustling hard is a girl boss and you're girl bossing your way through things. And it was kind of this like mentality that has been seen as toxic um, and uninclusive. And then more recently with TikTok culture, something called that girl has come up where it's this idea of women um, needing to be perfect all the time and getting up early, working out, and then having this beautiful aesthetic breakfast and then going to work. And every moment of your day is hacked and um, made to be perfect. And that makes you that girl. So just kind of these ideas that have been built into our society more recently and how they've affected us in our workplace and in our um, lives in general. So we've all heard this before, but a lot of what you see on social media is definitely the highlight reel and not necessarily the real life version of what's going on behind the scenes. And I think that's what makes it really difficult and challenging for a lot of us that work because these lifestyles are highly unattainable and often contribute to women feeling that they are lesser than, you know, they can't make it to that standard that's being set. And there's a lot of conversation about, you know, with that girl, you know, how there's this pressure to almost optimize every second of your day. Have you guys seen this out there in the ether? Have you been exposed to this that girl content? And what are you thinking and feeling about it? I think with that girl especially, it's sort of this aesthetic and image over actual action. Um, So these people, you think conventionally attractive, they engage with wellness culture, you know, they're drinking green juice, living in athleisure, and it's sort of this beautiful fantasy in a way. So with that girl, it's seemingly that you're always aspiring to be someone that you're not. Inherently with the title that girl, you are not that girl. With girl boss, it's sort of ambition over everything. So, you know, and that includes like morality, uh, other women, your family. Um, It's sort of like it creates another boys club, but instead of placing misogyny in men's hands, you're placing it in women's hands. So men are taken out of the equation, but we are doing the work for them by feeding into it. Speaking as somebody who lived through that in my professional life in the 2010s, I will tell you that I found it to be very gatekeepy. 
Um, I think that there were a lot of women that unfortunately weren't doing the work of empowering and platforming other women and making sure that we were kind of creating space at the table for everyone. It also felt like a lifestyle that was as much as that girl is almost a step up in terms of aesthetics. The girl boss lifestyle felt very, it had a look on social media. It was drinking rosé in front of pink walls and it was very non-inclusive in many ways in terms of diversity, um, diversity of body type, um, you know, what that girl boss looked like, this idea that hustle was above all else. Um, and it felt very lone wolf. And I, I think that that's dangerous because, you know, I, w- what I've seen in, you know, the ways that we've been able to kind of push the envelope and push people forward is, you know, you cannot do it alone. And I think that, you know, saying that you can just push your way into it, you can lean in hard enough is really dangerous because not everybody is able to do that due to, you know, social constructs, constructs in the workplace and otherwise. So I think that saying, you know, that, you know, this is a standard that is achievable for all is just false. And, um, and I, and I felt that that was, that was dangerous. And there are some similar things that I see in, in the, that girl aesthetic. Lauren, what about you? What have you seen? I think there's something to be said about the people out there that are doing that normal lifestyle on the regular for their own well-being, And that's fantastic. Good for them. But it really comes down to this mentality that not every woman can live that lifestyle. And it's not something that every woman should feel like they have to be doing um, as part of their daily routine to feel beautiful. I think if, if you're doing it out there and, and you are that girl, good for you. Um, but maybe don't be that girl with the negative connotation forcing other women to feel like they need to be with you. Yeah, kind of piggybacking off of that, Lauren, just the idea of how both of these stereotypes or like um, characters of people sort of have the, they, they both come into play with like privilege and how with like being a girl boss is sort of like the idea that you have this privilege of time and resources and things, but also with like being um, like that girl, it's sort of giving you that same idea where not everyone has that time to have that routine or to like give that attention to like those things in their daily life to maintain that aesthetic. Or the money even, you know, all these brand new products that are coming out on TikTok and it's like, you have to buy this, you have to buy that to be that girl. Not everybody has the money to do that, the resources. So Yeah. I mean, I read a really interesting article actually that Gracie shared with us um, about how the that girl lifestyle is highly sort of piggybacking off of how capitalism works, except instead of sort of optimizing your corporate experience, your body, yourself, your life becomes the corporation and every second of the day needs to be capitalized um, and and monetized. And I think that that's really dangerous in allowing women to feel fulfilled and that their self-worth is also a part of this equation. Because really at the end of the day, I think that's what a lot of these topics around work-life balance kind of come back to is how do you feel? You know, when you have to go to bed with yourself at the end of the night, how do you feel about how you're spending your time? So I think it's really important. I will say, though, there's one sort of solution or at least like a reframing of this idea. And it was coined by a really popular TikToker named Eli Rallo, who she came up with this rejection of that girl and saying, no, let's not live in that girl. Let's be this girl, you know, honor your life and do what makes you feel great. And if you are like a that girl of the world, like Lauren said, like there's no shame in that. Um, But there is this realization that not everybody's going to be that girl and you should strive to be this girl. Live in your own body, honor your life. 
Exactly. At the end of the day, it really just comes down to what makes you happy um, in your own life. Yeah, exactly. All right, Gracie. So we've got some other things to talk about today. What's up next? All right, next is standards for success. And I'll turn it over to Lauren. Kind of like what we were saying before, at the end of the day, it really comes down to what you feel is making you happiest in life. And a lot of that comes down to success. So um, one of the big questions that we have to kind of face um, in our day-to-day lives, whether it's for work or for home life, um, is what does success look like to you? And the fact of the matter is that success doesn't look the same for everyone. Not everyone has the same goals. Not everyone has the same timeline in life. And it's okay to have a different value or timeline um, or goal, no matter where you are and what stage of your life. Um, for example, you know, if you want to be a stay-at-home mom, that can be just as challenging as being a CEO. Um, you can also do both. That's, you know, Hallie over here is doing both right now and she's rocking it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but it really just comes down to setting goals and, um, making sure that you're achieving those. Um, and, and how you do that is by defining what your standards for success are in life. Um, so I came across an article that kind of started to map out how you can start to do this, um, for yourself. And step one is to find your purpose in life. Um, So start by defining the many hats that you might wear, um, the many roles that you play in life, whether it's, you know, a a daughter, a wife, a sister, a friend, um, an employee, anything like that. Just write them down and figure out how many hats you're wearing in your day-to-day life. Then you're going to determine the process that will drive your success in life. So if your ultimate goal in life, for example, is to have kids one day, you might want to start thinking about where your current position in your job is actually leading to and if that's going to lead you to a path for success or a path for failure. And then we start to um, determine what solutions you can make rather than focusing on the problems for that. So for example, if your current position is not going to give you the time that you need to be with your family, it might not be the right position. That's not saying you should go quit right now, but have that in mind and make sure that you're prepared to have your path moving forward when you reach that stage. And then the final step was to stay focused on the solutions, not the problems. So it can be really easy to complain. Um, So let's focus on the solution rather than complaining about the problems. A lot of complaints are feelings, right? So if we are constantly focusing on our feelings, those can dictate how we act. And setting standards allows you to remove that mental block that your feelings bring to you and can help you move forward on a path of progress. Lauren, you know, you had brought up in a previous conversation kind of about values and how finding your values can really help you determine what your standards for success are. But I also think it's a great thing to bring up, and Hallie might have some more on this, finding a company that value their values align with your values. Because as things start to change in the corporate world and work looks a little different now with through the pandemic and everything, things are starting to change and people are being more flexible and companies are needing to be more flexible. So just finding a company, or if you are a business owner, creating a company that has the ability to kind of help their employees achieve what they see as success. You know, if that's being a working mother, being able to have both of those things, be a great mother, be there for your family, but also get your work done, whether that's from home or however it may be. But just it's, you don't have to put it all on yourself, you know, 
find a company that helps you kind of achieve those goals as well and helps and wants to nurture you. I think, yeah, and one thing to add to that for employers, if you're sitting out there and you're thinking about, you know, this is what my employers my employees are thinking about, but how do I support that as an employer? I think the first step is what Lauren talked about in terms of purpose and understanding that, you know, employees are individuals. You know, no longer can you treat it as an us and them. You know, everybody has their values they've established for themselves. And, you know, I, I, I hear fellow employers saying things like they're having problems with retention and why is it that I can't retain my employees and I'm finding them walk out the door. Well, I think a good rule of thumb is how are you really honoring and rewarding the goals that they've set for themselves, both personally and professionally? And how are you making sure that their value systems and your value systems as a company align? And if you're finding that that misalignment, I think it's a really valuable use of time to get back to basics and look at your core values. How do you live those every day? How does that feel for you as an employee of the company? And how does it feel for your employees at every level? So I think it's it's critical because you may uncover some very easy, you know, things that you can operationalize or change about the corporate culture that will allow your employees to feel like they're getting their needs met more. Um, The other thing that I think is really important, and we'll probably talk about this a little bit more later in the podcast, but understanding that the old ways of working, it's change is hard, right? Especially as somebody who's in leadership, it's really hard to make large sweeping organizational change, especially if your company is large. I've worked at companies in the past that are publicly held. I've worked agency side. I've worked client side. And I understand that it doesn't happen overnight. It is not easy. Um, But making strides to improve corporate culture and communicating that to your employees so that they understand that while this isn't perfect now, we are working towards a future that's going to be better for all is also really important. Let them into the process. Don't be afraid of feedback. You know, I can speak for Shark and Minnow specifically. You know, one of the things that I took from my experience in the corporate world is 360 degree reviews. I think it's really important for every employee to have an accurate picture of where they stand in the company. And I think it's equally as important for leadership to understand where there's areas to improve. Don't look at it as people are knocking your company. Look at it as they're giving you free advice on how you can make this a better place for everyone. So I just cannot underscore that enough that you need to be ready to change in leadership. That is one of the hallmarks of, in my opinion, a great leader at a company is your willingness to listen to employees and adapt. Definitely. I think that, like you said, communication is one of the biggest parts of this. Um, Communication between an employee and and their boss or leadership team is so important. And Shark and Minnow does the 360 reviews, like Hallie was saying, which are a really great opportunity for us to kind of establish both our personal goals and our occupational goals. What do we want out of our career and what do we want out of, out of our regular day-to-day life? Um, and having that open communication stream is really important for any business because it allows you to understand not only what your employees want, but what they need and who they actually are. And all of that relationship can, can really help your company grow. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as we're talking about personal and professional goals and the melding of the two and how Shark and Minnow um, supports both of those things for their employees, um, I think it's great to transition to the next topic. And unless anybody else has anything to say about this one, but moving out of this pressure for work-life balance or achieving the perfect work-life balance and instead 
being in harmony with your work and your life. And so I'll turn it over to Hallie since I think she has some thoughts on this. (laughs) I do. I mean, I I think that this is really hard. This is another one for employers, but I also think that, you know, it, it only works if you're getting that constant feedback from everybody at the company. You know, I've thought a lot about this over the years, you know, in the time that I've worked professionally, you know, work-life balance has been a very buzzy term. And, you know, speaking candidly, I don't know if I've ever felt like there's a work-life balance. And, you know, this might be controversial to some people, but I don't know if it's really possible to achieve work-life balance. We spend so much of our living and waking hours at work as adults um, that, you know, what I think is really important, and I know it was important to me when I worked for others, and, you know, is as equally as important to me now that I'm, I'm leading a firm, is how do we make sure that, you know, the time that one is spending at the office also provides for harmony and lifestyle? How do we make sure that we're nurturing people and enriching them as human beings so that they feel like they're getting, you know, what they need out of their time here? I think it's also, you know, critical because if you're going to occasionally, and we hope that this is not the norm, but more of the exception, but if you're going to occasionally need for your staff to work outside of the nine to five, if they're going to be putting in those hours outside somewhere, or even if sometimes I I always talk about sometimes those great ideas come to you when you're off the clock and you're just letting your mind wander, they're going to be thinking about work when they're not here. You should allow them to also tend to their personal lives while they are. So I think it needs to be an ebb and flow. Um, You know, obviously it's a lot easier for me to say this as the CEO of a boutique agency. Um, It's a lot harder at places like the 750 person company I worked at before I came back to Cleveland. However, I think that there are certainly shades of this that you can incorporate. And, you know, by listening to your employees, by utilizing tools for communication, um, such as the 360 review, um, we also at Shark and Minnow have instituted rather than annual employee performance reviews, we have what we call quarterly conclaves where we give each employee the ability to surface feedback, look at their professional development plan, talk about what's working well, not working well, where they need support, where they need more training, and really looking at how we're able to provide that support, it allows us to be really adaptive, which is what I think, you know, really coming out of the pandemic, every employer is going to need to be thinking about, you know, gone are the days when you can just expect people to fill a chair and punch a clock um, in our field. You know, I'm not saying that that's not possible everywhere, but you should want your employees to be the best that they can be. You should want your employees to be happy. You know, if you really care deeply about things like equity and workplace culture and nurturing, you know, people from non-traditional backgrounds and, you know, not least of which given this series um, is women who are going to have in their lifetimes more, um, you know, just by the numbers, they're going to have more responsibility in terms of child rearing, child bearing, of course, and certainly, you know, once you enter the sandwich generation where you have kids and aging parents to also, you know, be responsible for women tend to bear the brunt of that. And how can you make sure that they are able to not just meet the requirements on them, but also get their needs met as individuals? You know, I think it's really, you know, critical, um, you know, for me, you know, being in leadership, sometimes the most important thing I do is walk around and see how people are feeling in a day. Um, And I know that sounds kind of touchy-feely, but when you know you have an employee who's going through something um, or they're at risk of burnout, you know, the only way you're going to know that is if you really make yourself available so that you can have those conversations. So I think across the board, there are a number of actionable things you can do to develop workplace harmony, um, but also just making it, you know, a constant part of your mantra as a company um, so that you 
your employees all not just know, but feel empowered to come to you at any time if they're having an issue or they're like, you know what, I just need to duck out. You know, I I have to deal with something today. Um, And not to penalize them for it, because I think that that's the other piece of this. You know, there have been so many jobs where I know I was in over the years where I felt like I couldn't take a PTO day. You know, I they needed me there or I got the call at eight o'clock at night. You know, there were many times early in my career where I'd get a call late in the evening and I'd have to be on a plane the next day and and constantly scrambling and missing things and sacrificing my personal life. Um, and yes, there's a little bit of extra effort that oftentimes you have to put in early in your career. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen, you know, but I think that there's a line by which those asks, those asks can become abusive of employees and it shouldn't be a mystery when employees start walking out the door if that's the way you're treating them. So that's my feeling on it. I don't know if there's anything else that anyone wants to contribute in terms of that and, and what else you think employees can do or employers can do to be sure that, you know, your workplace is an optimal place for you to be and you feel like you can really give it the most and push the firm forward in the same way that you can push yourself forward. Yeah, I really think that the culture is really important for that and coming into work and being comfortable enough to be open with the people that you work with. And I think this really helps to not get into the mindset of like switching roles when you're coming to work. I think that's just being able to like talk to the people that you work with on like a very like pers- like real level, not necessarily like super personal, but just being able to be like, this is what's going on. This is why I might be struggling. And then, you know, just you're not like when you leave work, you're not like out of work mode kind of. And I think that's really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I am a pretty new employee to Shrek and Nino, uh, but I will say that this is the first time I've really opened up quickly to my coworkers, um, to the leadership in a company I've worked for. You know, it's just, um, I think it says a lot about Shark and Minnow and the environment that everyone here has helped to foster. No, I, I really appreciate that, Gracie. I mean, that obviously feels good for me to hear as the CEO of the company, <laughs> but I think that, you know, I always say like this place, it is not a top down, you know, it, it needs to be supported from the top down, but the culture is created by everybody who's here. So I think it's a real testament to to the team, you know, that's sitting around the table as well as those that are not sitting around the table um, and how hard everybody works to really support each other. You know, it's not easy. And I think that, you know, one thing that's critical is making sure, you know, as all of you know that are sitting around the table, we take a really long time to hire and we really put a lot of effort into supporting growth as a result because, you know, Sharkamino isn't for everyone. Um, it's a culture that demands a lot of autonomy, you know, a lot of collaboration, you know, you have to want to work as a part of a team, get to great, you know, work hard until you get there. But I think for those that, you know, sort of have that entrepreneurial mindset and that desire to connect with others, um, you know, my hope is that, you know, we continue to, that it is a fulfilling place that we continue to look at ways that it can be even more fulfilling. And I think that's, you know, part of the spirit of discussions like this is feeling out what else do we need to do? Um, You know, how do we change? How do we grow? How do we make it better? And so I think that's, you know, another learning I'd offer up to others in leadership. Don't ever feel like you've gotten there. You know, the idea of perpetual beta is really important when it comes to, you know, organizations and, you know, leading, you know, organizations that, um, you know, want to get to new ideas, want to get to growth. It's not about buzzwords. 
I can't tell you how many firms in our field right now are like, we focus on Web3 or, you know, we focus on blockchain. And it's very much so about the technology. The technology and the tools will come and go and they will evolve. But if you don't develop a team that knows how to think, ideate, iterate and innovate, you're never going to be able to use those tools in a successful way. And I think that's, you know, something that to not to chest thump, but to talk about everybody sitting around this table, that's the strength of this team and, and why I think that we've been able to develop really groundbreaking work in the last few years. Yeah. Just kind of going back to that conversation about the work-life balance um, versus work-life harmony, just the idea that I saw, so I saw a TikTok. I hate to say I saw a TikTok, but I did. And it was um, a woman saying, you know, she she really regrets leaning in and girl bossing through her 20s because now she's in her 30s and she never allowed herself to find a husband and have kids. And, and not saying that that's what everyone wants. Like not everybody wants to find a partner and settle down and have children or however it may be, but it was just this, um, again, going back to like that toxic girl boss mentality of like, I have to work hard. Like I have to hustle hard. Um, and, and, and then I will be happy and I'll be successful in my thirties. But again, if you don't go back and really look at your values and see if this is something that you're wanting or using that in your everyday decisions when it comes to work and life, then you will wake up and be like, why did I just spend, you know, the last 10 years of my life doing this when I really wanted something else? And I think just me being as someone who's in her early 20s going, just starting her career, it was really helpful to see that, that like, I don't have to go out and buy that lean in book to like, really um, level up my career, because it's, it, that might not be the correct messaging for me. It might not be the correct messaging for everyone. Um, and so I just thought that that's something that we should be speaking more about and how things like that can actually be really toxic. Yeah, I'll add to that. One thing I shared, you know, when we were prepping for this conversation is a few years ago, I gave a talk and I, the, the title of the panel I was on was about leaning in. And I saw a lot of shocked faces in the crowd when I said that I actually have deep issues with the idea of leaning in, you know, the idea that we should just keep pushing harder. We should just keep leaning in because here's the reality. I think there are so many people that are leaning in so hard that if they lean any further, they're going to break. And not only that, but you can't just lean in or girl boss your way into positions, particularly for people that come from non-traditional backgrounds, you know, and um, there are just systemic barriers that some people have that they're not able to break on their own. So the idea that you could just push and push and push and apply more force and do more and, you know, at this point, that girl your way into optimizing your life so that you can eventually reach that pinnacle is just not possible on your own um, for most, not for all. I'm sure there are others that have had that experience where, you know, I just leaned in a little harder and it worked for me. I'm sure there are always going to be people that, that can tell you the opposite, but I will tell you, um, in my life, I haven't seen that work quite as well. And the ones, you know, and unfortunately there are a lot of people that behave that way that aren't extending a hand behind them. You know, if they are leaning in, you know, they might talk about it, they might want the credit, but there are a lot of, you know, unfortunately women and men that, you know, don't reach behind them to bring people up with them. And I think that that's really critical. Um, you know, for us here as a firm in the foundation of Shark and Minnow, that's a big reason why we've done things like mentoring programs in the past. We have our read aloud program with students 
throughout Cleveland Municipal School District's Harvey Rice Elementary. We want to show that there are ways that you can create a path for yourself, and there are people that care enough to be here to mentor and allow you to pick our brains and just let us know how we can support. And so I think that you need to operationalize some of those things. Don't just say these things matter to you. You know, if you care about, you know, really extending a hand, making space at the table, you need to make that a part of your mission in an operationalized and actionable way. The only thing I'll say is that you mentioned reaching behind and bringing people up with you. And I think that's so impactful because I think a lot of like women specifically who are in leadership, they craft this like crazy image of themselves online where they post this highlight reel um, that's just so unrelatable. And then when they're asked about asked about it, they'll go, well, why, why would my life and story be relatable? It shouldn't be relatable. How would people aspire to be me? You know, so I think it's great that, especially at Shark and Minnow, we're moving away from that like, okay, you should aspire to be me. Um, and more of that, I'm just... I'm just a person and you're just a person and there's no there's no crazy division between leadership and employee if that makes sense. So that's the last thing I'll say about that. Um and then moving on sort of the last topic we have is this just touching on physical and mental standards. So whether that be beauty standards or how women should feel or behave in a workplace or just in life. Um and I think Madeline had some thoughts about that. Exactly. This idea of, you know, we've got these standards for mental health as well as physical health and appearance within life and within the workplace. And I think, again, it goes back to some topics we had spoke about before, like the that girl mentality, that you're seeing these trendy ways of living and you feel like you need to do that in order to be the best version of yourself. And it also goes back to privilege as well, being able to have the best work clothes, being able to, you know, look professional. I mean, that is a privilege within itself. Um, additionally, just being able to take care of your mental health, take care of your physical health. Not everybody can afford therapy, unfortunately. Um, and while there has been things, you know, that have ways that have made it easier and cheaper to access these things, it's still not 100% accessible. So I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are on this idea of, and you know, we've tri we've tried to say that we've become this inclusive society that doesn't care about body shape or appearance or anything, but I think it's almost like regressed in a way. We have made some strides, but it's almost like one step forward, three steps back. So I'm curious what you guys have to say or think about this as a women in the workplace. <laughs> My hot take on this is that social media is to blame for all of this. Uh, <laughs> it, social media has allowed for um, people to show themselves off in a way that might set really unrealistic expectations for other people watching. And while I think it's great that you can post and, and share your story with everyone else, you know, show off who you are and everything, I do think that... Um, the way that people watch other people on social media can be really harmful and really toxic, like you were saying. Um, and, you know, seeing different TikToks about beauty standards, you know, you have to buy this $70 face cream because the one at Target is not going to be good for your skin. Like, fair argument, but you're setting really unrealistic ex expectations for other women out there who might not be able to afford 
something or a product like that. Well, Lauren, I think that's a really good point because I think that standards and who creates them and, and, you know, sort of how you live by them is a huge topic that the pandemic has sort of thrown into turmoil. One of the standards that I've been thinking a lot about is what is a professional woman? And I think that for many of us that, you know, are working moms, you know, during the pandemic, one of the things I struggled with early on and I sort of eased up on the longer and longer this thing went on was I'm unprofessional if I allow someone to see my children in the background. I'm unprofessional if I, you know, I'm on a call and you can hear my five-year-old asking me a question. You know, I'm unprofessional for multitasking when the reality is... Is at the time, you know, when all this started, I was running a business, running a household, and virtual schooling two children. And, you know, I think that that's some of the most professional behavior that you can have is trying to keep it all going. You know, at the time, you know, we had committed as a firm not to let any of our employees go during the pandemic. And that's something I'm really proud of, that we were able to keep our full staff intact throughout the pandemic. Um, But that wouldn't have happened if I wasn't multitasking. It wouldn't have happened if I wasn't, you know, trying to get the needs of everyone in my life met. I think the other other thing that I took away from, you know, one of our clients actually, um, Birthing Beautiful Communities, is that, you know, I went to an, a meeting with them years ago where one of their um, employees showed up and she had an infant in her arms. And I thought, oh my gosh, like just allowing permission for working mothers to bring a child to a meeting. You know, I know not every meeting will allow for that, but, you know, there are meetings where it's perfectly fine. You don't have childcare. And Madeline, to your point, you know, it is a privilege to have childcare, both in terms of the cost and the availability um, for many people. And I think the idea that you can you know, sort of open up your definition or your standard of what it means to be a professional woman in the workplace and to allow for um, flexibility, um, both for yourself, you know, if you're in leadership, but also for your team, I think is just critical, you know, and I, I think that's the other piece of this is if you're extending some sort of benefit um, around standards or lifestyle or work, you know, work-life harmony um, to yourself in leadership, that has to go towards everybody at the firm. You know, that that can no longer be an executive privilege that you keep to yourself, particularly if you care about, you know, fostering and growing great employees and retaining them. Yeah, I thought about this a little bit differently because of my background in production, but I feel like over like the last decade of working in that industry, there, I was sort of lifting a lot more and carrying equipment and things like that. And I felt like I needed to prove myself more. So if I was carrying a lot, like I would carry twice as much as like the guys or I would try to like like push myself more than maybe it was like okay or like healthy to do. And I feel like I'm just now starting to understand that it's okay to ask for help and to just sort of like take it a little bit easier. And I don't know, it just like that was something that I really had to work through mentally to like convince myself that that was okay to do, which it shouldn't be like that. But because the industry is like male dominated, it was a little bit harder to just accept that. Yeah. 
Absolutely. I think conversely, like, you know, I've worked on pretty much all male teams at points in my life and I've worked in heavily male dominated industries. And sometimes you do feel that pressure to do twice as much, right? Not only, you know, in terms of carrying things, because in production, that is a thing, you know, and, um, you know, and not that everybody is seeing this podcast, but Kate is not a, a six foot five behemoth, you know? And so, <laughs> you know, I think that, you know, that just the reality, right? You know, there are physical, uh, you know, physical limitations. I remember, you know, years ago when I was pregnant with my daughter, being at meetings where I had to be on my feet and and be up and meeting with people and, uh, you know, all day long and and feeling the need to hide my pregnancy so that people would be, would look, would not look at me in a certain way. Thinking about what I was wearing, wearing drapier clothing, just because I didn't want to be judged. Like, oh, well, there's that working mom, you know? And I think that it's, it's very real when you, when you talk about standards and, and what you, what we put ourselves through in order to avoid that gaze. So... And sort of piggybacking off what Kate said about proving herself, that from a physical standpoint at least, I think I've dealt with that a lot as well, but in more of a mental standpoint. Um, I worked in a very heavily male-dominated industry for three years uh, before starting my career in advertising. And I think I I really used to strive for burnout. When people used to ask me, what's your goal? I was like, I want to be so stressed out that I like cannot take on one more project or one more case. Or That was something that I was really, really just looking to achieve. And it took a lot of sorting through that mentally and asking myself like, well, why? Like, why do I want to be so like frazzled and burnt out? And I thought I went back to honestly that girl boss mentality of like, I want to be a great, like, I want to go down in history. Like when I was a lot younger, that's kind of something I I really wanted to do. And I thought in order to do that as a woman, you have to spread yourself so thin in order, because other women in the past have had it more difficult or harder than you. Um, And there's a lot of like guilt and shame in that as well of saying, well, I didn't, I didn't have to jump through these hoops or I haven't been sort of oppressed enough or marginalized enough to feel successful, which is a really backwards way of thinking. And yeah, it really took me doing a lot of mental sorting and growing up a little bit um, and then ultimately switching career paths to feel more secure in the fact that like I am okay. I'm, you know, if I am needing a break, that's okay. If I need more time on a project, that's fine. Being kinder to myself has been a tough journey. That's, that's a real evolution though, you know, to kind of get to that point where you kind of give yourself the space to do great work um, and advocate for yourself, I think is really important. And, you know, I think when you're a person that cares about getting to great, when you do come forward and you say, you know what, I need a little bit more time to get to great. As we all know, sometimes deadlines are deadlines, but there are many times where, you know, hopefully that's met with, yeah, let's like really make it great and let's have the hard conversations to get ourselves there. Um, it's, that's, I mean, I really applaud that because it's not an easy transformation to go through. Thank you. Yeah, it's been, it's been tough, but I feel like I'm confidently on the other side of that and not to like really toot shark and man's horn too much, but like, I do think Keep that- it coming, Gracie. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> this is a great promo, but no, I think that, um, really taking my time when I was thinking about, okay, well, I, I wanted to work in an agency setting. I knew that I wanted to work in a very collaborative setting and sort of more free form because I, I dealt with heavy structure and micromanagement for so long, which is, it's just, it's tough, especially being a young woman. I feel like I was sort of micromanaged even more because it was always assumed I didn't know what I was doing, which created a lot of confidence issues because I never thought like, well, the, why did you hire me? If I can't do my job, then you know, why did you choose me? So I think 
taking my time in finding a place that would understand why they hired me and see my value and what I could add without having to constantly look over my shoulder and make me like almost paranoid about that, I yeah. think has been incredibly helpful. And like I said, like this is the quickest I've ever opened up and been like uber comfortable at a in a workplace. So I think, well, I think that yeah. kind of goes back to what, you know, we were saying before too, is that if employees can be the best that they can be all around, they're going to be able to feel more comfortable, do a better job. And, you know, really, you know, for employers, you should know that, you know, you should want your employees to be the best they can be for themselves, but that's also the only way to get to great at your organization. Yeah. And I will just say, I mean, I could talk about this topic all day long, (laughs) (laughs) but just from like a marketing coordinator standpoint, um, I think it's also, there's something to be said about, practicing what you preach because when you get into that position and you do start to um, kind of curate social media pages for for companies and things of that nature it is so easy to go into what's trendy we want to show these companies in the best light of course but it's just those things that you think of when you're talking about like your appearance or how you look or your standards Um, and how you wish that the world would kind of, how they would change their standards, putting that into your work as well, rather than just going with what's trendy is another great way to kind of make a small change within an industry. Absolutely. I think that's a big part of operationalizing it, right? Like, you know, part of it is, you know, having ethical standards as an organization of what you will and you will not do. There have definitely been times over the course of us owning Shark and Minnow, running Shark and Minnow, where a client will ask us to work with them or a prospective client will ask us to work with them and we'll find out what they're asking of us. And we've We've said no. And I think that there are certain clients that have asked us to do things that just feel like they're, we might not be doing the right thing for the industry if we were to go forward that way. And hopefully what happens is over time, you show clients that you really care about positioning them the best, most strategic light, and that this is going to be in their best interest all around. And you can develop a relationship that allows them to trust you and do that great work. But that's that's where the great ideas come from, right? It's like, let's not try and tra- chase the trends. Let's really try and think about what's brand right for you. Well said. So then we will wrap this up with a little segment. We we all wrote a wish for ourselves. Uh, we did it. We're going to do this anonymously. So we wrote it down and we put it in a bowl. And now we're going to pick them and read them. All right. Yeah. I'm going to pass the bowl around. All righty. <laughs> Take one, pass it on. Hopefully no one gets their selves. I know. Just pretend like you did (laughs) it. I'll just be like, wow, this is (laughs) so insightful. All right, Gracie, I'm going to have you go first. All right. So this one says, I wish for a corporate world where even the most entry-level employee feels comfortable speaking while in a room with with the executive team. Wow. No, yeah, that's definitely impactful. I feel that. Lauren, what about you? This one says... I wish for a more meaningful space for ideating together with the team in person to create great work in 2022. All right, Kate, what do you have? My wish is to be unapologetically myself. Stop seeking validation for things that I value or want out of life, and I hope that others do the same. All right, Madeline, what do you have? I wish I could let my guard down more without feeling like I'll be labeled a certain way, i.e. too much, loud, etc. All right. And the last and final wish is my wish is to step outside of my comfort zone more often and to take risks when it feels right. 
So may these wishes come true in the next year. Thank you all so much for this conversation. I think that it's been so good um, to hear, you know, what we're all thinking and feeling. And hopefully this has been interesting to those of you listening in. And if you have thoughts about this topic or would like to explore further, please reach out to us. Um, You can always reach us at info at sharkandminnow.com. And until next time, thanks for listening into Open Swim. 